please rise as you are able and receive this reading from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at the teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, your light shines and you share so generously with us to bring so many good things to be. Thank you for shining your light in us and through us, for being present with us, for the light of your word. And as we reflect upon the gospel today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. For you, O oh God, are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. History has shown that the human family really, really loves and reveres those who prophesy, our prophets. We love our prophets once they're dead. Because when they're alive, prophets often rub us the wrong way. They repeat themselves, they won't let things go, they won't let us off the hook. <laughs> They've seen into the depth of pain and suffering that's going on all around such that they will not rest until freedom comes. Spirit has touched them so that they care less about their own daily rounds and more about the propagation of food for the hungry of shelter for the unhoused, of sustenance for those who are impoverished, for friendship with the outcast and the lonely, dignity and equity for the oppressed, and renewal for societies breaking under the weight of shiny, fast things like words and bullets and needles and machines and the siren call of excess. Prophets could give a flip about our respectability politics and are impatient with things that don't matter to the nourishment of human bodies and spirits. And they're fearless in advocacy against all that does harm. Prophets are always trying to get up into our business. 
After they're dead, we can filter out the things that they said that convicted us and the positions that they took that stepped on our toes. And we can just focus on the quotes that work really well on refrigerator magnets. <laughs> we can adopt things the prophet said once those words are proven somehow true or become more mainstream. Even though we rejected the same ideas or stances when the prophet was alive. We love our prophets after they're dead. Last week in our text from Mark, we learned that the prophet John had been arrested. If you read a little longer into the story, you'll learn that John was killed while in custody. In our gospel text today, Jesus is hailed as the one who is different from all the other leaders. The people are amazed and astounded at how well he speaks, his power, his authority, the way that he teaches. And then Jesus makes his first public act in Mark. Now, just an aside, biblical scholars like to make a big deal about the first public act of Jesus in each of the different gospel accounts because it tends to sort of paint a picture for what Jesus will be like, where Jesus' focus will be throughout that story, that, that particular gospel. So in Mark's gospel, the first act of Jesus is a confrontation with a person who comes to the synagogue when Jesus is teaching, who's described by the writer as having an akatharto spirit, an unclean, disturbed, I like to say not catharsist spirit, akatharto. One scholar describes it as a spirit of oppression. The spirit was oppressing this man. And he cries out, this person comes crying out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Jesus doesn't ignore this person or call him to be removed or to be restrained. He spoke words of release, of liberation. And the man was set free. See, Jesus didn't come to destroy, but to mend. Even still, it doesn't take long for Jesus' new interpretation of the scriptures, his teaching with authority, his active opposition to all the forces that keep children of God from the abundant life God desires to bring all sorts of charges against him. At this point in the story, the one we heard today, everyone's going, ooh, he's good, that Jesus. Look at what he's done. But it doesn't take long. We know the way the story plays out. Even those amazed by the teachings of Jesus at the beginning join the crucified chorus by the end. But in this first confrontation, and in every other that follows, Jesus doesn't act with hatred 
or violence. Jesus doesn't act with disdain or dismissiveness. Jesus loved where others would hate. Jesus was peaceful where others would be violent, was steadfast when others would run away, was embracing when others would shun. Many in Jesus' time and in our own would have responded very differently to the man in the synagogue. They would have perhaps ignored him or removed him or done further harm to this already suffering, maladjusted man who was held captive by an oppressive spirit. But Jesus engaged the situation and the man differently, prophetically, divinely. Jesus refused to be well-adjusted to the ways of the world that would leave one of God's children suffering so much. Even when that person was challenging him directly, his words and his actions. Jesus was, in this way, maladjusted himself. To be maladjusted is to, quote, lack harmony with one's environment from failure to adjust one's desires to the conditions of your life, or to be unable to cope with the demands of a normal social environment. Jesus would not adjust his desire for the mending and liberation of lives and communities Jesus did not give in to the demands of the normal social environment that was unjust, violent, and thoughtless to the plight of others. Jesus acted with divine love, agape love. As Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached in his Christmas sermon on peace in 1967, quote, agape is understanding, creative, redemptive, goodwill toward all people. Agape is understanding, creative, redemptive, goodwill toward all people. He writes and said, agape is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. Theologians would say that it is the love of God operating in the human heart. And when you rise to love on this level, you love all people not because you like them, not because their ways appeal to you, but you love them because God loves them. This is what Jesus meant when he said, love your enemies. And King says, I'm happy that he didn't say, like your enemies. Liking is an affectionate emotion, and I can't like anybody who would bomb my home. I can't like anybody who threatens to kill me day in 
and day out. But Jesus reminds us that love is greater than liking. End quote. Dr. King goes on to speak of this kind of love as a privilege that should never be relinquished. No matter the challenge or the setback to our ongoing work to, quote, remove every vestige of segregation and discrimination from our nation. We don't, you and I, we don't have to like the lawmakers who passed discriminatory legislation banning gender-affirming treatments for minors. We don't have to like those who lobby against common-sense gun laws. We don't have to like those who take pride in flaunting their misogyny, their homophobia, their white nationalism, and their racism. But Jesus taught and modeled with authority that we are privileged to love them, to extend understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill toward them. Because that's the way of God. As King said often, quote, hate is too great a burden to bear. It is a privilege to love. Now, all of this is in direct opposition to so many of the norms of society in Jesus' day and, Lord knows, in our own. Tradition teaches that even one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, could not go along with Jesus' prophetic and nonviolent approach and teaching of the kingdom of God and ended up betraying him. And in King's day, there was opposition from both inside and outside of the movement. But Dr. King would not adjust to ways of being that ran counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the commencement address that he delivered at Lincoln University in Pennsylvania in 1961, entitled The American Dream, King said this, quote, There are certain things within our social order to which I am proud to be maladjusted and to which I call upon all people of goodwill to be maladjusted. If, he says, you'll allow the preacher in me to come out now, let me say to you that I never did intend to adjust to the evils of segregation and discrimination. I never did intend to adjust myself to religious bigotry. I never did intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few. I never did intend to adjust myself to the madness of militarism and the self-defeating effects of physical violence. And I call upon all people of goodwill to be maladjusted, because it may well be that the salvation of our world lies in the hands of the maladjusted. 
I wonder what your or what my reaction would be if Jesus walked into our synagogue today and took up the scriptures and started teaching with authority in ways that challenged the things that you and I think we know. Or if he started guiding us to live or move or act or change in ways that would put us in a position of being maladjusted to the society, out of sync with the world in the ways that we'd been living, would put us out of sync with the world in such a way that we might have to lose something or ways that would make us really uncomfortable. Would you be amazed, astounded, go into the world telling everybody all about it? To follow Jesus? Would I say, what do you have to do with me? Good news is that Jesus has compassion for us, regardless of what our response would be. Agape love and compassion. And the other good news is that each and every day we can choose whether or not to accept the grace and power God gives us to respond to the call of Martin Luther King Jr., who said, quote, let us be maladjusted as Jesus of Nazareth who could look into the eyes of the people of his generation and cry out, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. I believe that it is through such maladjustment that we will be able to emerge from the bleak and desolate midnight of our inhumanity to others into the bright and glittering daybreak of freedom and justice. That will be the day when all God's children, black and white, Jews and Gentiles, Catholics and Protestants, and I will add, Muslims, Sikhs, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, poor and rich, queer and straight, cisgender and transgender, people of all political stripes and all colors and cultures and tribes, that will be the day that all God's children will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. May God give us all grace to be maladjusted enough to the world as it is, that we might participate in moving the world toward the freedom, the liberation, the justice, the peace, the joy, and the wholeness that it might be. Amen. Amen.